Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Mike McDaniel still on paternity leave. He will be back very, very soon. Joining me tonight, a returning guest. You know him, you love him. You, if you need information about the Duke Blue Devils, there's only one place to go. That's where we go. Mr. Steve Wiseman, welcome back to the program. Steve, how are you doing? Joey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the kind introduction. Not everybody loves me because I, you know, you write about one team and the other and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but that's good. Uh, it's good to be with you. <laughs> well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it was a, a nice summer before you had to come back and start reading the comments section. Um, yeah. <laughs> appreciate you it's, joining it, us here. I, yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, it certainly was a good summer after a, um, after a long basketball season, a long, exciting basketball season. I know we're here to talk about football, but. Whenever you bring a guest on with Duke ties, uh, basketball always seems to come up. So. <laughs> hard, hard to ignore <laughs> that, and I mean a particularly uh, pivotal year for Duke with uh, you know a long time, long time sitting head coach and Coach K calling it quits after the year. That was uh, it was a big move, and, and I mean kind of similar. And we're gonna watch this transition, kind of similar to how a long time sitting head coach for the football team called it quits after the year, <laughs> as uh, David Cutcliffe after a long tenure. I believe it was thirteen years he was the head coach at Duke. Uh, he finally yeah. hangs it up at the end of the year. I, I don't know how much that was a a voluntary thing versus maybe a little bit of a mutual thing, something like that. But certainly, I mean, a guy who uh, over his time at Duke had to have been one of the most uh, decorated, accomplished coaches in Duke history. And I, I know that things haven't really been great maybe the last couple of years as his career kind of came to an end. But Certainly, I mean, a guy who had some of the greatest moments in Duke football history and someone I would imagine will live in Duke football lore for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to start out there, um, you, know, you mentioned voluntary or, or mutual, certainly not voluntary at all. Um, closer to mutual than anything. But, you know, I think everybody agreed uh, for the most part that <clears throat> it was clearly time for, for some, some changes. Uh, you lose 17 out of 18 ACC games over the last two years, 13 in a row, most of them not competitive, a lot of 48 to nothing games and things like that. So mm -hmm. uh, the program had really as great as Cutcliffe had the heights that he'd raised it to, you know, earlier in last decade, they've completely lost all that momentum. Uh, they were back to kind of where at the bottom of the ACC where they were when he arrived. And, um, you know, if you want, uh, there were some, some, uh, Improvements that need to be made with infrastructure, with um, personnel. That uh, if you're going to get people to people that are going to write checks to support that booster wise, um, it's easier to do that when you have a new a new coach, a fresh face, um, some new ideas to try to completely jumpstart things from that point of view, I guess. And so, but as far as what Cutcliffe meant to Duke football, you can't overstate it. You can't overstate, even, despite how it ended which I think is 
you know, it's a sad thing. Everybody, Cutcliffe is, is well-loved throughout college football for all that he's accomplished in his coaching career before he came to Duke. And then since he came to Duke, you know, he took a program that, that was at the bottom of the country as far as uh, football division one and took them to six bowl games in seven years. Once he got it going, ACC championship game appearance, all that kind of stuff, right? They finished in the top 25 uh, after the 2013 year, they were you know, ranked in the top 25 at the end of the year. Uh, so you, you talk about the history of Duke football, you know, Wallace Wade, right? His name's on the stadium for a reason mm-hmm. uh, is the top of the line. And then in a different era, obviously, uh, and then Steve Spurrier, his three years, you know, he he shared an ACC championship in 1989 before he took off for Florida, his alma mater, of course, and and had great success in a Hall of Fame coaching career there. So and then he cut clips in that in that conversation, I think, um, because uh, they weren't ever a top top five, top ten team like they were under Wallace Wade again a different time for integration and all that kind of stuff. But um, but the heights he took Duke to. Uh, people didn't think it was possible when he took the job. And even, you know, he had to doubt, you know, when he got here and saw what was going on, they, they rebuilt the stadium, they built the indoor practice facility, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff uh, that made, you know, Duke football a power five level program. Now the, the, the task is, you know, more work like that needs to be done in, in facilities and all that. If you're not building every year, you're, you're behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the people you're recruiting against. So, um, that, that's some of the stuff they need to do now, but, but the program really, you know, uh, frankly had gotten stale and, sure. and, uh, it was time for, for some new vision in there. And that, that's why Mike Elko uh, is now coaching Duke football. And, and I think you're, you're correct. I mean, that it had kind of fallen back to where it was when he picked it up several years back. Um, I, I remember when he took over and it was, I mean, any team in the ACC almost, if you had Duke on your schedule, I mean, it was a, you know, go ahead and just chalk that one up as a win before the season even started, you know. But again, as you said, six six bowl games in seven years is a, really a, an incredible feat at Duke given where it came from. I mean, so certainly it, it peaked there in the middle of his tenure and had some really incredible years, but it was probably time to move on. Um, which brings us to the hiring of Mike Elko. Uh, and that was that was kind of an interesting one. And, and he's a guy that I know was was really well revered. He was a really good defensive coordinator at uh, Wake Forest. So he's got some experience in uh, in North Carolina. He'd done really well at Nor- Notre Dame and Texas a and I mean, so he was a really hot shot, like up and coming kind of coach on the scene. Um, it, it wasn't you know when, when I first heard that Cutcliffe was expecting you know expected to leave, it wasn't like Elko was the first guy that came to mind, but that's a that's a process I would have to imagine that a lot of folks around the program are really happy with where they ended up with Mike Elko being the new head coach. Absolutely, and of course, you know he hasn't coached a game yet, so that's uh, that'll be the, the ultimate uh, uh, litmus test, right? But, mm-hmm. but yes, at this point, they're they're completely happy with with what they have in him, with what he's done so far, with the type of person he is, which is uh, yeah. But when when the process started, he wasn't it wasn't like they were like, okay, this is our guy, we're going to get him. I mean, it was a process. They went through a lot of names, uh, talked to, uh, you know, to uh, seven or eight, uh, and then brought some more in at the end. Tony Elliott from, from Clemson, who is now at Virginia, mm-hmm. was like it was Elko and, and, and Tony Elliott. Jason Garrett uh, famously got involved. He wanted, to, he really wanted the job. The former, uh, you know, Cowboys coach. Um, uh, so he's somebody that, that that's the kind of name. Duke attracted, which which is a little surprising, right? I mean, considering where the level of program where it is, 
but uh, this was a job people people saw that there was a possibility for to do some some some, some stuff here, and Elko uh, probably had opportunities to go bigger, better places, better football programs, right? If he, if he really wanted to wait, given his background, uh, he's never been a head coach before. But you mentioned the, the places he's worked, the people he's worked for, um, you know, Dave Clawson, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, just right there, those three. Uh, those are three really, really good, co- accomplished coaches. It's a great set of and, mentors. Um, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Mike uh, played football at Penn in the Ivy League. So he's got an understanding of that type of academic structure um, that that was very important to Duke to, to get a coach that that understood this is what you get into and this is where, how you have to recruit here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not a, not a challenge. It's like, okay, I can do this. I've, I've done that before. I, I lived that life. Right. So I can, I can do that. I can talk to people that want to be that, that type of education and tra- it's attractive to them. Whereas just some players, it wouldn't be, or they wouldn't have that possibility. So that, that's how that process went. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he hit the ground, uh, you know, hit the ground running in December and, had to completely redo the staff and we'll talk about the, uh, the people on, uh, on the staff and everything. But uh, a lot of the changes he made were within the football building. Um, you know, they had like three people dedicated to just recruiting. I'm talking non-coach positions, right? And now they have 10. So social media, all that modern stuff that, that Cutcliffe knew was important, but he, you know, he's from a different generation and you mm-hmm. can adjust a little bit, but, you know, Elko's 45 and uh, he's, he's 20 years, you know, 20 some years younger than Cutcliffe. And uh, for all David has accomplished in the game, it's just a little different perspective that, that Mike Elko's bringing. Right. Well, and yeah, and Cutcliffe, not only, you know, a bit of an older guy, but also, I mean, the last time he was anywhere other than Duke was like 2007 when this was not really a, a thing that most staffs had, you know, whereas Elko has seen it at Notre Dame and Texas A&M over the last four years. Um, so he's got a real good idea of what those, you know, well, well built out kind of staffs look like. And that's, I think that's typically what people refer to when they talk about infrastructure is, you know, having, having that staff that's all built out. I, you, you mentioned the staff that he hired and his assistants. And I, I was looking at this and I was really impressed. Uh, frankly, I, I look at a guy like, you know, his offensive coordinator, Kevin Johns as a longtime offensive coordinator at Indiana, Texas tech, most recently at Memphis, uh, he's got a defensive coordinator, Rob Smith, longtime DC from Rutgers, Arkansas, Minnesota, back to Rutgers most recently, and then he hires Jess Simpson, uh, who's is interesting, like you know, longtime high school head coach in Georgia, actually not very, really close to where I grew up, actually uh, in the same county, um, and then most recently he's kind of bounced back and forth between the Falcons and the, and Miami as a as an assistant. This seems like he really put a priority on guys who have a long track record and who have experience to help support him as he is a first-time head coach. Yes, and there are people that, you know, for the most part, he crossed paths with him at one point or another in his career, which is common in the coaching world. Mm-hmm. But they also all came with, like, some different perspectives. It's not just all one mind, you know, this is my plan, and you guys all fit in with my plan and my scheme. Um and that's that's important when you're at this level and you're you're really starting a program again, kind of from scratch, right? You're at the bottom of the league. You've got to build up. You got to have different ideas. And uh, like you mentioned, like Jeff Simpson, uh, who's been in the NFL, he's been at Miami, right? High level stuff. Uh, but it's a longtime high school coach in Georgia, which has been a prime recruiting area for Duke when they had some really good teams. They had yep. a lot of a lot of good players coming out of Georgia, and um, and so uh, uh, 
that's the kind of things Mike saw. And, and he, he, you know, he, he's, he's built a pretty good staff. Um, you know, Rob Smith, uh, you know, again, a defensive coordinator in, in the SEC and the big 10, right. That's, that's big time stuff there. Uh, you've got, you got to know what you're facing. You're facing a lot of high level plays there. And uh, Kevin Johns brings some different stuff on the offensive side. So, yeah, I mean, that's, um, I've been to, you know, as we, as we talk here, we're in the first week of practice. And uh, so just three or four practices in, we're trying to get used to seeing, seeing what we're seeing because um, it's all different from, mm-hmm. you know, I was on this beat for a long time and it was just one, you know, cut clip, right? And everything was the same. And now it's just totally different. I just you know what you're looking at. So, but, but I know these guys, uh, they're bringing a lot of energy and a lot of uh, experience. Um, another guy, uh, David Feely is the strength and conditioning coach. They have a the director of football performance or something like that, but it's basically strength and conditioning for football. And he previously was at the university of Miami for three years. So again, high level athletes, uh, even though the hurricanes haven't dominated the coastal like everybody thought they would, but, uh, but the fact is he's brought, you know, a, a high level of work to this program. Uh, and, and he knows what it takes, you know, with that type of athlete to get things done. It's they've, uh, Elko and the other guys on the staff have raved about the work these guys have done in the weight room and conditioning and which is kind of common for off season stuff. But, uh, but they really, you know, think that they're 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 better athletes now than they were when they got here, and that's that's what they need. Well, speaking of the players on the roster, and we'll we'll, we'll get into some specifics here. But I guess overall, just like at the macro level, I, I look at this Duke roster coming off the Cutcliffe transition, coming into this year, and I see a lot of spots that seem like they are fairly depleted. Um, there is a there is a a bit of a blank slate for Mike Elko and his staff to work from here. I, just in general, have you gotten the indication that they're thinking about going at this from like a youth movement standpoint, playing just a bunch of freshmen and sophomores and I guess building that up over time? Or have they, you know, do you feel like they've taken in a couple of transfers? They've got a couple of lingering guys from the previous staff that uh, they're, they're trying to hopefully kind of float the boat here for a couple of years before getting their own guys in. Yeah, they're, they're definitely not going with youth movement. So hmm. uh, I, can, I can put that to bed right now um, because they brought in seven transfers uh, in the off season. And I can tell you that the large majority of them are, are, uh, you know, on the depth chart now working with either the first or second team and, or sometime in the third. So um, there are guys that, uh, that they think can make an immediate impact and, and get them. I mean, obviously their goal is to get back to a bowl game this year, right? That may be high, high in the sky, but you got guys that, uh, uh, that, that can maybe help you get that done. Like, uh, Detrone Young, the cornerback from I, he played four years at Iowa State mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve. So uh, you know he's used to playing at the Power Five level. He's looking like he might be. He's got a chance to be a starting corner. In fact, I'll be surprised if he's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's that's I mean they need to talk about depleted positions. The defensive secondary was depleted by losses, and frankly, the last two years they've been terrible. <laughs> look at the numbers, giving up over 500 yards a game last year. Uh, they needed some. They don't want people back there. They want new people, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just that's just one guy. Uh, another guy they got uh, Darius Joyner is a transfer from Western Illinois. He was an FCS All American. He had like 140 some tackles last year at, at Western Illinois. Um, and but he's got a chance to come in and play. He knows how to make plays. So, those are some things you want. They got some some transfers in the offensive line that might be able to help out. Uh, and then you talk about guys left over. Uh, you know, the wide receivers, they have a lot of experience there. They have Jalen Calhoun and uh, uh, John Tavis Robertson. Um, 
Daryl Harding. Those are guys that played last couple of years uh, that, that again, uh, didn't put up huge numbers, great numbers, but they have college football experience. And then on your last point about the thing about the youth movement part, that's where you come back with like a quarterback mm-hmm. where you have two sophomores um, uh, battling uh, for the job, Riley Leonard and, and Jordan Moore, who both saw playing time last year, but uh, you know, neither one's been a starting quarterback for a whole season or any stretch of imagination like that. So that's where you, you look at it and go, okay, you might take some lumps there this year, but if you build them up and keep them in the program, Next year and the year after, you could have something special mm-hmm. as they get some playing time. That makes sense. And have have you gotten a sense for whether Leonard or Moore is more likely to be the guy come week one? I really don't, and that's that's not a cop out uh, because this program is at the level where they probably need both guys to play this year. Hmm. Um, I think you'll you'll have a starter. Obviously, I don't think you'll have alternating. You know possessions or uh, or uh, or alternating games even for that matter but but i think you'll um you'll see both be part of game plans and of course riley leonard is your classic drop back got the gun uh pretty good quarterback that way in the pocket although he, he can run that's not like he's a, a a robot back there but he can run um jordan moore has, has incredible speed and we saw some last year he you know some he gets in the open field he can get away from people no matter what I don't care if you're playing Clemson or Florida, whatever. He can get, he's got some foot speed and some moves. And, uh, you know, they're working on him in the passing game. Um, so, you know, you just, you know, you might even see plays where both guys are on the field at the same time, right? You take advantage of the athleticism, maybe. Who knows? So, um, yeah, I, I, really, I and just had a press conference with Elko a few hours before we taped this, and he made it clear, like, he doesn't have any idea. He really doesn't right now have an inkling again only a few practices in but there's still a lot of work to be done for somebody to take charge of that and say i'm going to be the guy i, I was going to say no no offense to you St- steve but it's hard for you to know if elko doesn't know so it's <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> um interesting you mentioned jordan moore i mean he was the team's second leading rusher last year behind mateo durant uh, so that's that's definitely yeah. a different dynamic to have there at the quarterback position um, skill-wise, you mentioned some of the receivers that are back. Jake Bobo is gone. Uh, Mateo Durant is gone. But it sounds like there are there are some guys there kind of waiting in the wings that have at least have got some reps with live bullets flying that are that are going to step in and get a lot of those uh, carries and receptions this year. Absolutely, and like I mentioned, uh, Robertson is a junior, and Daryl Harding is a senior, um, and those guys have been inconsistent. You know, Jalen and Jalen Calhoun, for that matter, as well. He had a great freshman year. Uh, in 2019, uh, with you know, he had five touchdown catches or something like that. But he, especially early in his, but he, um, he got away from finding the end zone. Now, part of it was you know, Chase Bryce threw the ball to the other team too much, right? In 2020, mm-hmm. um, and even Gunnar Holmberg last year had more interceptions than touchdown passes. So some of that's on the you know the guys around him and the quarterbacks and all that. But Calhoun's a senior and he needs to. Needs to be a big play guy. Needs to be a breakaway guy. Guy that um, can make make guys miss in, in open field and get those yards after catch. He's not been not been great at that. He's been a pretty good uh, possession guy. Pretty good hands. You don't see him drop it a lot. Um, Harding and and Robertson and some other guys like that have had some drops. Uh, you know, haven't been haven't been good in 50-50 balls. Eli Pancol, another guy I want to mention, uh, who's a senior. Um, I know in practice a few days ago, 
you know, I saw him, you know, in a, in a drill. It was a 50-50 ball, and, and he snagged it and pulled it away from the defender. And, like, there was a lot of celebration from the team on the sidelines. Like, they hadn't seen much of that, right? And so <laughs> – um, you talk about trying to build up competition. That's that's even where they're going to in practice. They're trying to get that done and kind of build it up that way. So, um, you know, you look at other receiving cores at NC State or Wake Forest, stuff like that. Guys that that fifty fifty ball for them is eighty twenty, right? At Duke, it's been twenty eighty, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what some of these guys have to improve on a whole lot. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, They've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's Section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official tech gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or – Anywhere else, you're in the Thriller Dome, you're at uh, McCamish Stadium, you're at uh, the Rusty Sea, you are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech, go to section103.com. They have great products, they are all officially licensed, got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. Defensively, I look at this. I mean, you've got three guys back, RJ Oban, Dwayne Carter, Shaka Hayward, who combined for something like 12 and a half sacks last year. Um, that that seems like a pretty, pretty good pass rush. Do you think that that's going to improve even further in a way that could help out that secondary that you mentioned really struggled last year at a lot of times. Yeah, I think it will because of the, uh, the, the brain power that is at Duke now on that mm-hmm. side of the ball. Cause we Elko, right. That's his background mm-hmm. and Rob Smith. Uh, so you got two defensive coordinators, two experienced high level defensive coordinators. That's not a knock on Matt Guerrero and the staff that was here before. They just didn't have this kind of experience. Right. Right. And it just didn't work. And uh, so now you've got you've got these guys that have done it at high levels and, and and know how to get it done. So they're going to have some new ideas and new movements. But, yeah, that's one area. We talk about a lot of areas on the field where Duke doesn't have experience or talent. But defensive line is one where they can, they've got a chance to be uh, to be highly competitive there and, and really make a difference in some games. And so, yeah, you mentioned the guys that are coming back. And there's a new guy, a true freshman from Durham, uh, VJ Anthony, uh, who um, – I think you're going to see him get a lot of playing time this year. He he kind of looks like Chris Rumpf, uh, who played a couple of years ago, is now in the NFL with mm-hmm. Chargers. Um, like a really athletic, off the edge, fast rusher. He's not 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 huge, right? But he's he's quick and strong. And uh, again, just a freshman, so there's a lot of um, growth there to be done. But he's already impressed a lot in spring ball because he came in early, and then now in the fall. So that should be an area of strength for Duke. And I guess just in general, have you gotten the indication that there are any like true freshmen on the roster that 
as an as, as going to be somebody whose name that we know by the end of this season. Yeah, Anthony, I I, I beat you to your question there. I'm sorry, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah VJ Anthony definitely. Oh, so so uh, he is a freshman then. Okay, all right. He is a true freshman. Yes, he came in in the spring. Oh wow! Uh, uh, early enrollee kind of guy from from here in, from from Durham, Jordan High School in Durham. So uh, that's always good to get somebody local doing some great things for Duke. Um, that that's one for sure. I think. I think you'll see for sure. Um, the other one, uh, trying to think of some other, maybe Terry Moore running back uh, from Washington, North Carolina, because uh, again, with Mateo Durant moving on uh, to the NFL after his incredible career, setting the single season rushing record last year, there's, there's carries available. And uh, you know, Jalen Coleman is a redshirt junior. Jordan Waters, uh, they've they've played a lot behind Mateo, and they'll get a chance to do some things. But what they've done over the last few years doesn't really matter to Mike Delco and his staff. It's what happens now. Right. And uh, you know, if uh, if Terry Moore comes in and, and does some great things here in fall, he'll get the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you'll see. I'll be surprised if you don't see him involved in some way or another. I'm not saying he's going to start, but uh, he should get some reps because nobody. At, Again, it's early, but nobody at this point is like taking charge and said, I'm going to be the guy like, like Mateo Durant was last year and the year before. Sure. Makes sense. Steve, looking at the schedule here and, and the out of conference schedule has been something to watch. I think at Duke and, and they've done something smart here over the last several years, I think of, of scheduling pretty reasonably, like not mm-hmm. just scheduling what you would obviously just call like, that's a loss, you know? So they've, they've got two out of conference power five games, Temple at Northwestern, North Carolina A&T at Kansas. Now, on one level, like when you schedule those games, Northwestern and Kansas, like those are games you can win and they're power five opponents. Now this year doing them both on the road with where, you know, the three programs are might be kind of tough competitions maybe for, for Duke. And, uh, you know, I don't know, might be a tough year to be playing those games. (laughs) Uh, For sure. And uh, you you think back to last year, two of the three wins Duke had were Northwestern and Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember last year talking to some people at Lawrence on a radio show and, you know, they were pointing to the Duke game, like that's one we can get, you know, and uh, they didn't. So I'm sure this year they're looking at it that way too, right? They're mm-hmm. both Duke's looking at Kansas. If we can beat them again. And Kansas is like, we have to beat Duke this year. Can't lose them two years in a row. Mm-hmm. And Northwestern, you know, they go through cycles. Like uh, they're, they win the big 10 West. And then the next year, they'll kind of stumble. I mean, it's hard, you know, at this level of academia, uh, it's hard to, to maintain, you know, greatness, you know, seven, eight, nine wins every year. You're going to have a, a, a drop off. And so Duke obviously wants to catch Northwestern when they're on a dip like that, like last year. That's how they beat them last year. They sure. were, they weren't as good. Um, so it's, it's challenging. I mean, it's not, well, the two road games makes it a little more challenging than, mm-hmm. than it normally would be, but they have uh, scheduled that way. You know, they're trying to, they're trying to get to six wins. That's kind of what they've done when they put these schedules together. And, you know, you think back um, uh, two or three years ago in 2019, the year that should have been, you know, Daniel Jones senior year and not gone and entered the NFL and Duke opened with Alabama that year down in, in Atlanta. And they got, they got beat soundly, which you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And then they went five and seven. And so that's one where that could have been a bowl season. If you schedule, whoever, right? Somebody besides Alabama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got a chance to have a bowl game year. And so um, that was a different approach that year. They thought we're going to play a big 
their bowl game basically was the first game of the year instead of the last game. That's all mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. And so now since then they've kind of gone back and said, okay, maybe that was a little too much to bite off. Maybe we shouldn't because we missed out on a bowl trip because we played this this game in, in Atlanta. So, um, yeah. Now that they've got a chance with this schedule to get off to a decent start, maybe they can you know win like last year they started off three and one. They lost to Charlotte, but mm-hmm. uh, they they started off three and one. So that's kind of what you want to try to do get after a start and then get into ACC play and try to find a couple of wins. I was going to say, you look at this and say they scheduled two Power 5 opponents just like Georgia Tech did, except Northwestern and Kansas sounds a little different than Georgia and Ole Miss. Like That's Ooh. what my alma mater did. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be fun this fall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, looking at the rest of the schedule for Duke, I mean, so that's those are your first four games in September. Then you get into October, and it's Virginia at Georgia Tech, North Carolina at Miami, at Boston College, Virginia Tech at Pittsburgh, Wake Forest. There's a buy right in the middle. There's no like. There's only I guess one set of back-to-back road games. Like, I don't. I don't know how much I. You know, you could really ask for. Again, it seems like a bit of a rebuild year here in Durham. But, um, sure. I mean, you get a couple of the easiest games you're going to play up front with Virginia and at Georgia Tech. Um, and and again, you get no back-to-back road games. Like I feel like as as much as you could have set this schedule up to be kind of fortuitous, it it works out pretty well for Duke if there's going to be some wins to be gotten. It does. I mean, you get the North Carolina game at home. So you're not going on the road and facing, you know, a bigger crowd over at Chapel Hill. There'll be a lot of, a lot of Tar Heels at Wall Wade Stadium, of course, but it won't mm-hmm. be, you know, 65,000, 60,000 or whatever you have over there. Um, you know, you're right. There's, there's no back-to-back road games that, you know, they play Miami on the road, then they have an open week and then they play at BC. Right. So yeah, you get that break in the middle. So that, that works out pretty well. So yeah. Um, I mean, they're not going to be favored in any of these probably. Um, sitting here right. I know today they're not. Uh, in any ACC game, then they may change, you know, as we get into game weeks and everything, uh, depending upon what's happening. But you're right, Virginia and and Georgia Tech both look like, uh, you know, uh, Virginia's got a new coaching staff and uh, Georgia Tech is is struggling. And uh, this, you know, Collins has has to do something this year. He's probably going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the teams that the one game that Duke was competitive in ACC play last year was Georgia Tech, and they lost to him. You know, one of the last plays they get late in that game, they gave up a touchdown, lost at home. Uh, so um, that's one that they're looking at. That okay, we can we can play with them. Maybe that's one we can steal down in Atlanta. Right. Uh, come in there and get that. So yeah, it's it's not uh, you know it's uh, BC again is in the high level. You know, you're not playing your crossover against Clemson. Sure. Uh, yeah. So. Um, there, there is a, there is a chance there uh, to to, to fr- try to do something, but again, this is a year where, you know, if they can get four or five wins, they'll they'll have accomplished something, and oh, they've yeah. they've started moving things back in the right direction. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say, I mean, do you have an official record prediction? Are you allowed to give one? <laughs> sure, I can. Yeah, I can do it. I can say two and ten, and you know, there's a good chance that'll be right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you go by the odds makers, um, you know, they were three and nine last year. Again, we just looked at the schedule there. I can see him winning three or four or, you know, uh, but to me, it's more, if you go four and eight and you don't lose, you know, 48 to nothing on, on the regular, like last year, you know, you've started to move in the right direction. It's okay. You know, moral victories aren't worth anything on paper, but, but when you're at this level where they are, they got to start getting back to competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And so if you start getting to it, the game's not over by halftime, which was the case a lot of times last year, then you're, you're getting there. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's as, as it was explained to me last year, 
<clears throat> when they were trying to decide what to do with Cutcliffe, if there was no number in, in mind as far as, oh, he has to be in this many games for him to retain his job. How do those games go? And last year, we know how they went, and, mm-hmm. and that wasn't wasn't going to work. So, yeah, Elko wants to get them back to a, a level of competitiveness. So if they're, you know, you win three or four, but you, you're, you're in most of the games, that's a good start. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's, again, it's it's early in the, in the tenure, and I, I think that this is a time where it's very easy to talk about not what does the 2022 Blue Devils team look like, but maybe what does the 24 team look like. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit of a build here, and, uh, I, I don't I don't really hold him all that accountable for, you know, wins and losses this year. You know, we'll I think we'll see kind of what it looks like down the road here. Yes, absolutely. It's it's just like, you know, when when Cutcliffe arrived in 2008, you know, it took five years. They got the bowl game in their fifth year. And that's, you know, they don't want to wait that long again here. Obviously, mm-hmm. you want to do it faster, throw it in the microwave, get it done quickly. But um, but there's there's work to be done. And. And so, you know, if he can, you know, get to where they're running for a bowl game in year three, 2024, like you said, that would work, mm-hmm. you know, that would get things going. And I think, I think with the young talent they're bringing in, he's got 25 guys already committed for the class of 23, like per, per, pretty much by the 4th of July, they had 25 guys committed already. And now it's a matter of holding it together, uh, which is always tough, but um, he's got some momentum in recruiting and, and, future teams so you start looking at the roster and look who's coming in and look okay by 2024 maybe we can we can have an eight win season mm-hmm. uh, that's what that's what you want to build toward yep absolutely steve this has been awesome this has been really helpful i, I really appreciate your time today uh do you want to really quickly tell the people where they can go find your stuff absolutely joey um i'm, I'm the beat writer for the raleigh news and observer and durham herald sun uh, we're all one organization now so our website is um, is newsobserver.com uh, or heraldsun.com. Those are the two two papers where you can find my stuff on Twitter. I'm at Steve Wiseman NC, uh, so you can follow me there for for Duke football and basketball. I do some basketball too. So um, <laughs> they do play basketball <laughs> in Durham. There. It turns out <laughs> they do a lot, and uh, so it takes up a lot of my time. But yeah, no, this has been an enjoyable, Joey. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Every time. Appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate it, Steve, so much. And uh, we we'll hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Once again, that was Steve Wiseman with the Durham Herald Sun and the Raleigh News Observer covering the Duke football beat. Huge thanks to him. Once again, go give him a follow at Steve Wiseman NC, all one word on Twitter. Um, it, it is I, I got to tell you, it, and I told Steve this after we hung up, this is a, a really tough program to find people that know things about it. it, it they don't get a ton of, uh, of press coverage. They don't get a ton of uh, fan following. It doesn't seem like as much, you know, certainly near, not near as much as the basketball team does. But Steve is a, a highly knowledgeable resource, and we're really appreciative that we found him a couple of years ago and that he's been so generous with his time with Mike and myself over the years coming on to talk about the Duke football team in a lot of depth. So shout out to him and much appreciation. My, my record prediction for Duke this year, I, I look at this schedule. I think that they can beat Temple. I, I think that they will beat North Carolina A&T. And I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I, I like to upgrade a team when I really like the coaching staff, and I do like a lot of the backgrounds of these guys. Not, not a lot of necessarily like household names on this coaching staff, but a lot of guys who have a lot of experience and can really bring a lot into the room and kind of help develop, I think, a, a young, inexperienced program. 
So I think that they can get one more win off the other 10 games. I don't know if it's Northwestern, Kansas, or one of the ACC games. You know, certainly Virginia and Georgia Tech, a little bit ripe for the picking for, for the Blue Devils in particular. But um, I, I think I think this is probably like a 3-9 and nine season for Duke. I don't think it's a complete and total cratering, although, I mean, as, as Steve alluded to, there are some serious roster issues in play here. Um, you, you had some roster issues in play at the end of the Cutcliffe era that seemed like they really got worse with the departure of a few key players. You know, the, the few guys that were kind of holding it together uh, seem to be gone, you know, most notably Mateo Durant to the NFL and Jake Bobo, I believe, to UCLA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, still a few guys I do like. I mean, Jalen Calhoun has been a really good receiver for them for a couple of years. And so I, it's not completely and totally devoid of talent, but it does seem a little bit like a situation where you might be just be like one or two injuries away from a, a, a totally different look and a, and a totally hapless team on the field versus one that can kind of remain competitive. And as Steve alluded to, one that can kind of keep games close into the third and fourth quarter, even if you do come away with a loss. And so Totally understand, and and I, I I'm completely on board with this whole thing. Of I I don't judge Elko or this staff based on basically anything that happens this season in terms of the scoreboard or the win loss column. You know, you you might have some some visual things that you know the eye test shows that the team improves from the start of the season to the end, but. Um, I, I'm really not holding them accountable for, for what the win-loss situation is. It, it is a, a, a quite a rebuild, I think, that they're going into from a roster standpoint. And so uh, this is where I'm I probably pretty much willing to ignore 23 as well before we start really passing any sort of judgments on, on what is you know what, what are they building and how is it going. I, I think we're a couple years away from there. This is a, uh, this is a pretty hard restart. So... I predict a three and nine season for Duke. I, I think it'll be okay. Could easily see two and ten. I, I saw in my local shop uh, Duke being listed as a three and a half win total, except the under at minus one ninety eight. <laughs> so they're basically telling you where everybody's betting this. And uh, you know, if you want to bet that they win four or more, you can get plus one forty one on it. So that's that's a really good return on your money if you're going for it. Uh, I would not bet over three and a half. I would be really pretty surprised, honestly, if they win four or more games this year. Uh, but who knows? New coaching staff, new systems, you know, a lot of new things at play. And that's that's exciting to watch. And you never know. You can kind of get some strange results at times. And there's there's not a single one of those first four games. Again, Temple at Northwestern, North Carolina A&T at Kansas. Every one of those games is reasonably winnable. And even the Power 5 opponents, as Steve mentioned, I mean, Northwestern and Kansas, you got to go on the road. But those are teams that you beat last year. So there's reason to believe that there are wins out there to be had for the Blue Devils. Um, but I personally wouldn't bet on it if it was, uh, you know, if it's me and my own money. So I can't necessarily recommend that you bet that they win at least four games either. But I have been wrong once or twice about my betting picks on this podcast. And frankly, betting against me has long time uh, for a long time has proven a profitable venture. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe consider betting against me if, if, uh, if you catch my drift there. All right, that's all I have on Duke. I'm going to get out of here. We've got some more previews coming your way as we work our way towards the kickoff of the season. We do actually have a game, remember, the weekend before Labor Day. Florida State kicks off against Duquesne, uh, or as I like to lovingly refer to them as my dad joke is Duquesne. Uh, So we will keep previews going but really with the target of that first weekend uh, that Thursday night where Pittsburgh hosts West Virginia that will be the the real target of the start of the season as you might understand but 
Until then, we've got some more previews coming your way, so keep it tuned here. Well, we really appreciate those who have, and, and especially if you're sharing us with your friends, we really appreciate that as well. You know, find the people in your life that are ACC football fans, for better or for worse, and let them know about the Basketball Conference Podcast. We really appreciate that, and, and help help them hit the subscribe button and the follow button and everything that you can. Uh, we it, it does a lot for us. It really helps us out. Uh, in the meantime, you can come find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, go follow Steve Wiseman at Steve Wiseman NC on Twitter, all one word. Go find him at the Durham Herald Sun and the Raleigh News Observer. Really appreciate his time one more time. You can come find us on iTunes, on Spotify, all those good places you go find podcasts. Once again, hit that follow and subscribe button. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate those. If you leave a funny review, we will probably read it on the air. So that's always a good time. And the, uh, the challenge is set to see who can leave the funniest review. So go do that. You will be uh, entered in to be, I don't know, read on air first. That's probably the prize if you, uh, if you leave the funniest review. So go do that. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on a lot of those social media sites, although, you know, Who's to say how much we use them, but swear it's us. So give us a follow and uh, maybe sometimes we'll start posting something again once both, you know, Mike and I are done with our dad duties for, uh, you know, the next three years. I don't know. We'll see. Go follow us there. We appreciate that. Uh, that's all I got, though. So thank you guys so much for listening. For Mr. Steve Wiseman, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon with some more team previews. Until then, uh, I don't know. Go Blue Devils and go ACC. Yeah.